0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Happy Friday! I'm Tracy V. Wilson, and I'm Holly Fry. One of our episodes this week was on O. Henry. Holly, did you have to read any O. Henry short stories in school? Okay, uh, I have been holding back a confession to you? Oh yeah? With a gun to my head, I couldn't have told you who O. Henry was until I was in my early 40s. Nice. Like, I feel like I, I read some version of Gift of the Magi, but it was not really ever discussed in terms of its authorship. And we certainly didn't study him as a person that I can recall any of the places I was growing up. Um, I am... sure that we read both The Ransom of Red Chief and The Gift of the Magi in school. As I noted in uh, in the episode, I do not know if the most racist language in Ransom of Red Chief was in there. There's a whole other line of discussion about, like, the use of the word Red Chief and the way that he is, quote, playing Indian, which... I don't know. I was a kid, and I had similar, like, cowboy and Indian weird games when I was a child. Um, But there was definitely stuff in there that was jarring. Um, Gift of the Magi, not nearly as jarring. And I don't remember if there was anything else of his that we read. Um, I do the thing where I talk to my husband about what I'm working on. Uh, And so I said, hey, did, did you ever read any O. Henry in school? And he said, What are some examples? And so the first thing I said was Gift of the Magi, because that one's probably the most famous. Yeah. And he said, No, I learned about Gift of the Magi in, and then he t- went down a circuitous road of trying to describe Emmett Otter's jug band Christmas. Yeah. Um, but he couldn't remember the name of it. And so it <laughs> was a guessing game. <laughs> Uh, and then that led me to read or to just do like an informal query on Twitter of like, hey, did people have to read this in school and do people still remember? And the answers that I got were really all over the place. I wondered if we had read more O. Henry because I grew up in North Carolina and he was from North Carolina. Um, but I heard from lots of other people living in other places. Uh, I think all of them in the United States or Canada uh, among the people who said yes, there were a couple of people who did not grow up in the U.S. or Canada, and were like, "I don't know who that is." Um, so it's it seems like it just kind of depends whether um, it's a a school reading thing because the stories are pretty short and they tend to be fun and clever. Um, it makes sense that that they are included. It does not make sense to include the racist ones, <laughs> for sure. You can't, we've talked many times about lots of writers who include a lot of casually racist stuff in their yeah. their work. Yeah. Looking at you, H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> yeah. It's the it's such a source of consternation for me because I love H.P. Lovecraft's world that he created so much, but man, it is hard to get past some of the garbage he wrote. But yeah, You're a monster. And there's actually a tie-in related to your listener mail Oh, yeah? Which is that we talked about how I cook through the entire Star Wars Galaxy's Edge cookbook, and I recently acquired a Lovecraft-themed cookbook called Necronomnomnom Ooh. that I may or may not do the same thing with. Uh, no that ra- sounds like fun. No racism in my cooking, I hope. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Man, that's a whole other issue of, like, food availability and stuff that can be super fraught. But, yes. um... We have not done any similar cookbook challenges at my house, but uh, there has definitely been more cooking experimentation and learning to make new things. Um, we really just shifted entirely our uh, our food acquisition at our house during the pandemic. Um, like I was going to the farmers market every week in years prior, but now like the vast majority of the meat we get comes directly from the farmer, and most of the produce also. So anyway, that's kind of a digression. Uh, I um, I don't know what I was really expecting when I got into the O. Henry biography story, but man, when I found this random passing reference to like prison in Honduras or prison after Honduras with like his incarceration being when he really became established as O. Henry, I was like, man, that was a big thing for <laughs> to be left out. That did not make the syllabus so <laughs> No, (laughs) just just skip that part. Tracy, we got to talk about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer this week. We sure did. Can I just tell you that this was a very hard episode from an editing standpoint in terms of the the writing of the outline? Yeah? Yeah. Because it's Rudolph, so there are like 8,000 rabbit holes you can go down on the side Mm -hmm. and find yourself swirling in a whole other story. I mentioned the Gene Autry stuff, Mm -hmm. right? How for music nerds, there's a whole other story to discover there, but it was kind of too much additional that didn't really go along with the rest of our story. One of the things that we didn't talk about that is really part of what made Rudolph so extraordinary when it first came out in 1939, was the fact that even though it was kind of printed pamphlet style, it wasn't, you know, a hard copy book. It was literally, like, stapled together pages that parents who had gotten this while they were shopping for Christmas at Montgomery Ward could, like, roll up and stuff in a stocking or, like, put, you know, somewhere on top of gifts or something. It was meant to be, like, an easy add-on. It was printed in full color, Oh, wow. Which was, like, mind-blowing for people, right? Like, Rudolph has, like, a blue outline on his eyes in that picture that I talked about where he's crying. His mm-hmm. tears are blue. You know, his face is brown. His nose is obviously red. His eyes are, like, the epitome of a simplified doe eye. They're huge and they're dark. Uh, but because that initial version looks kind of like it's done with with artist crayons, there's, like, some subtle shading in there. It's really quite extraordinary. And so that's... Like, one of those weird things that's just people, I think, were probably blown away by that as much as anything else, right? The story is fabulous, but it's like, whoa, this is a free thing we got while we were shopping? Yeah. (laughs) Um, We also didn't get to talk about the Rankin-Bass special as much as I would like because I am a huge fan of it. Like, we didn't get to talk about Burl Ives at all. No. Um, which I would love. The soundtrack for that special, which has great songs in it, has been a bestseller for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And we didn't talk about the fact that Rudolph inspired one of my favorite characters of all time, Jack Skellington's Ghost Dog Zero. Oh, Yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, um, Rudolph is kind of everywhere, whether we know it or not. Yeah, it's a lot. Do you remember when you first, like, encountered the Rudolph story? Was it the song or the special? Oh, man, that would be really hard to pinpoint. Because I remember singing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, like, in chorus. Yeah. We called it music, music class, like, elementary school music class to sing it for a PTA meeting. (laughs) <laughs> um but then I also remember watching the uh the special on television and I would be really hard pressed to tell you which of those things came first but I feel confident it was one of those two and not like a book. Yeah, I um I don't know that I could pinpoint either which one I I encountered first but I don't remember the first time I heard the song. Mhm. I imagine I heard it because my dad was a big fan of playing Christmas music at the holidays, but I remember the first time I saw the special because I was just, it was almost Star Wars level, what is this, right? Like, the island of misfit toys spoke to me in a way that is hard to describe to people. Like, just this idea of all these toys that would love to be loved. There's also an interesting story there where the special actually changed after its initial airing because initially the Misfit Toys did not get to go to new homes. The mm-hmm. original version of it, like that credit sequence where we now see them getting dropped off via parachutes to children, was Santa just delivering regular gifts to kids. And enough people wrote in about it, and they were like, there's just not a happy ending for the Misfit Toys. Yeah, but they went back and reanimated that that final segment to show the, the Misfit Toys finally getting a home so charlie in the box and dolly and um all of their their cohort finally get to be loved by kids yeah i kind of feel like and i'm this is pure speculation i have never read anything that says this but i kind of feel like you can easily trace an inspiration line from the island of misfit toys to pixar's toy story oh yeah like that yeah. idea of toys having personalities and needs and wants and desires. Uh-huh. I mean some of that right? Like those toys are sad in Rudolph. Right. <laughs> and right. so I feel like it's a whether it was a conscious inspiration or not, I I um I feel like they probably have a a little bit of shared DNA. <sighs> Woody is, you know, related to the cowboy riding an ostrich. Uh- <laughs> Now I want to go watch that special. I think that's good. Okay, let's do it. I literally think I have it on DVD or something. Somewhere in this house. Probably. Oh, King Moon Racer forever. <laughs> <laughs> Since this is coming out just before Christmas, if you celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas. If you are not, you know, I hope you're having a great season of winter time. And even though the world for a lot of people is continuing to be chaotic and full of pandemic. Uh, You can drop us an email if you'd like. We're at historypodcasts at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.